Hello, and welcome to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro, a podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. I'm the Ryan half of Ryan and Brian, and this is episode seven. Have you ever wondered what happened between the Old and New Testament? I know I have. And while it only takes us a couple flips of the page to get from Malachi to Matthew, there's approximately 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And a whole lot happens during that time. Uh, uh, Interesting, bloody, uh, but very interesting. There's a lot of wars happening and, and fighting going on. Brian and I chat about the leaders and nations that were at play, the wars that I just mentioned, what wars they were and what happened during those, and the social climate that Jesus was born into, which allows us to see why the concept of Jesus as the Messiah was so radical to the Jewish nation. There is a lot to talk about, so let's jump right in. All right, we're back here in the bistro. Yeah. And last time, Brian, you said, I'm not going to tell you what we're going to talk about. We're going to do John 14, and you just made me, you know, I, I risked a lot there looking right. real dumb. Well, you didn't look dumb, I thought. I, I mean, you kind of, you know, you asked good questions, and you followed where I was going. <laughs> oh, that's right. very generous. I mean, I felt dumb. Right. I felt dumb. Anyway, so today, it's my turn to, okay. well, I'm going to ask, I'm not going to talk. You're going to talk again. <laughs> But I'm not going to tell you what we're talking. So one of the things that uh, I've been talking about with someone, a friend of mine, is what happened between the end of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Right. You know, so what it was we got four, about 400 years. Right. Um, between the last writings, Malachi, in there to uh, Matthew. I don't want to date things, but from the Old <laughs> Testament, the New Testament. Right. And when we when we jump into the story in the New Testament, we've got the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Right. All that stuff. So, okay. what happened? Right. Yeah, it's 400 years. I mean, there's a lot that happens in 400 years, right? The, um, you know, this this country has is a little over 200 years old. And if you think about, you know, from now to the colonial period, there's a few things have happened uh, in between there's there. There's been some ups and downs. So, yeah, it's an interesting, and it and, and I do think understanding the intertest, what we, we, we use the phrase intertestamental period for this a lot. And uh, the other the other phrase you'll sometimes see when you're reading about this is the Second Temple Period. We'll talk about the Second Temple Period, but this um, this period of time, there are several developments that happen, and I think some of them give us background again, like we've been talking about historically, that can help us understand parts of the New Testament. Uh, last time we talked about John 14, and I mentioned, for example, this guy named John Hyrcanus that destroyed the temple on Mount Gerizim yep. and and increased this animosity between the Jewish people. He was a king of the Jews. He was a, a king of the people of Judea and and the Samaritans. You know, part of that that went back to this to this destruction of the temple that he did. And, you know, that's when when this woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, understands who Jesus is, that's the first thing that she asks. It's like the very first thing. This is a major thing between us. So that's that's one example. But let me let me kind of give you a, a general overview of some of the things that happened. And I'm going to actually go all the way back to the um, to the Old Testament. And you you will remember that in the in the prophets and, and in the stories that one of the things that was happening is because of the people of God's unfaithfulness, God was going to send this this nation, the, the Babylonians, who were going to come in and they were going to take over essentially this this area and and the reason was because 
you know, the way the prophets talked about it, because the people had become unfaithful to God, that mm-hmm. he was going to send this people that was going to take them captive. And so we find that taking place. We call it the Babylonian captivity. And even in the book of Daniel, for example, you can you can read about that and some of the events that took place. And during the middle of the of the book of Daniel, so the Babylonian Empire is one thing that that is toward the end of the Old Testament. In the book of Daniel, you also have the Medo-Persian Empire that arises. You might remember that uh, Darius the Mede is mentioned there, who, yes. who comes and and Belshazzar is his kingdom is taken over, his empire is taken over. Uh, we has funny enough we read about that in history. Her, the the historian Herodotus, some some people call him the father of history, talks about that transition of power that we can see in in the book of Daniel. So again, we're talking primarily Old Testament now. But then the book of Daniel also prophesies, this would be something for us to talk about sometime, is, is how do we understand the book of Daniel? But he prophesies the coming of other kingdoms. And one of them is what we understand to be the, the Greek kingdom, right? The, the Greek empire. And some important things happen for the New Testament there. The, the person we usually associate with the, the uh, conquest of the Greeks is, who would you associate with that? Alexander. Alexander, Alexander the Great, Alexander, right? Yeah. And so he and his armies kind of sweep across the known world at that point and and take over these areas. And so again, Judea, Samaria, Galilee, these these you know places where the events of the Bible take place falls under Greek control. Mm-hmm. Now the Greeks for the most part allowed the Jewish people to continue to practice their religion in the way that they, you know, at least initially, mm-hmm. the way that they were uh, wanted to, the way that they were they were allowed to. But then, after Alexander the Great's death, his empire was divided up into four parts, and two of these parts in particular, one was kind of centered in Egypt. Um, we call them the Ptolemies because mm-hmm. the first guy's name was Ptolemy, and then. He named the son and grandson, all that kind of stuff got named after him. So the Ptolemaic Empire is is kind of a Greek empire that was centered in Egypt. And then there is this other empire that's to the north, um, the Seleucids, we call them, that battled back and forth. They were kind of centered in Assyria, let's say, Mm -hmm. and they battled back and forth over this land, Judea. Galilee, Samaria, or uh, yeah, these these three places, back and forth for centuries, right? And so the battle kind of back and forth is part of what took place. Well, there was a king uh, of the Seleucids that ended up having a different view of the Jewish people than had happened to that point. And he really tried to stamp out the Jewish people completely. He made it illegal to own a copy of the Old Testament, the Torah, the, the mm-hmm. their Bible. He, he made it uh, illegal for them to worship. He outlawed several things. He took over the temple. We talked a lot about the temple last time. He took yep. over the temple, and he put a statue uh, of, a, of a false god in the temple, which, of course, you know, to, to the strict Jewish people became a, a, a major deal. And this story of what happened there becomes a major part of what then we understand in terms of the New Testament, because... There are a group, you know, this guy's trying, his name's, his name is um, Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, Antiochus IV. That's a mouthful. <laughs> his, his nickname is Epiphanes, which means he saw himself as God manifest, God in the flesh. And so when he put that statue up to God, 
uh, he, he made it in his own likeness, interestingly enough, in the temple. So you can imagine how, how mad that made people who, who believed the Old Testament. You know, no gra- you, you'll not make any graven images. And here is one set up in the temple, right? So there was a group of people who, who resisted this. One of the families was uh, a family that lived in a, in a Judean village. Uh, we call them the Maccabees. That was not actually their, their names were the Hasmonians, but uh, we call them the Maccabees because the most famous of these was a guy by the name of Judas, and his nickname was Maccabeus, which means hammer. Judas the hammer. Okay. Yes. That's a, that's a, that's a good nickname. That's a rock and roll right. name. So he became a military leader. They so they were resisting the efforts of these uh, of these Seleucids who were who were trying to do this stuff. They were resisting uh, the the efforts, and they started really a rebellion and uh, started fighting against this uh, over overpowering oppressing nation. Mm-hmm. And they had a good deal of success actually. And and so one of the things that they did is they fought their way into the temple. And they, you know, tried to reestablish worship in the temple. They they sh- shut themselves in. They were able to kind of um, defend the temple. And uh, there was a major feast later that took place because of because of some traditions and some ideas about what happened during that period of time. And actually, there's one of them you've you've heard of. But but what happened is when they were able to reestablish and kind of cleanse the temple and make it you know, for worship of God again, instead of worship of this false God, that became celebrated by a, a festival. And and we call it today Hanukkah. Okay. Okay. It takes yeah. place around the same time as Christmas, usually late December, depending on the, on the calendar, but well, it's always late December, but uh, Hanukkah is, is that Hanukkah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you got, that was a good, that was a good, strong take on that. So in the Bible, in the new Testament, this is actually mentioned in the gospel of John. We talked about John. We talked about the importance of the of the temple in the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. If you look at John chapter ten, now the interesting thing is that's a story. And I, this would be a really cool one for us to talk about sometime. John ten. This is Jesus talking about being the shepherd, the good shepherd, and shepherd throughout the Bible. I'll just kind of give you this teaser. Shepherd is something that people use for the rulers, right? Shepherds. Our rulers, yep. from the time of King David, at least the the rulers of God's people are called shepherds. And so Jesus talks about the fact that these other shepherds have come before me, who are thieves and robbers, but I am the good shepherd. Now, verse twenty two, it says, "And it was, or then came the festival of dedication." So that word, the feast of dedication or festival of dedication, I don't know what your CSB says. It says festival of dedication. It is talking about. Um, Hanukkah. It says it was at Jerusalem, it was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. So there's Jesus in the temple again. And he's talking about this feast. It's This is taking place at this feast time where people are remembering these Jewish rulers from the past who had you know, overthrown the oppressing empire, <laughs> yes. just kind of like the kind of like the Romans were in 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 his day. And um, you know, Jesus is talking about the fact that I am the good shepherd. Look, look back up, and, and I'm, I'm going to say something else about this. I know I'm kind of off track now, but it says uh, verse seven says, "Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture." 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So this difference between maybe shepherds who've come before, rulers who've come before who are not good, and Jesus says, I am, I'm the good shepherd who's even willing to, to lay down my life. And of course, we know wow. that's, a, that's a pointing toward that. So let's go back to Judas Maccabeus. They have this, this dedication. And so the people, you know, he was a hero. And so the people wanted his family uh, really to be the leaders, their leaders forever. And so Judas, and then he he, he had a, a son, or actually it was a, a brother that ruled. So there's this whole list of kings that begin to rule over the people. And again, they were, they were heroes, but there came a point where these kings were no longer acting on the benefit of the people. You know, we've seen this before, right? <laughs> a couple times, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they began acting for themselves, and they began to enjoy the luxuries and this kind of thing. And so they were no longer the heroes. In fact, they became uh, the enemies of the people. In fact, they, they kind of went into cohorts with the Romans. And this is the fourth empire, the fourth mm-hmm. kingdom. Eventually, the, the Romans come through, and they are able to take over this entire area that Alexander and his successors had had you know the known world became the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. and so those kings became kind of uh, like I said against the people and, and uh, uh, ones that that people were not in favor of. So this idea of dedication, I think John saying playing with that idea, just at this this period of time where people are celebrating this period of King Jesus saying, "I've come to be really the king. I've come to be the good shepherd." Okay. And so that's part of one way that we can see some interesting things in the intertestinal period. I forgot to mention this as well. When we talked about Alexander, one of the two, two things that Alexander really did is he kind of united this, this entire part of the world. So it became very easy to travel over this whole new world. And then the Romans kept that up. You know, you could right. travel from place to place in relative safety. And that kind of led the way for the coming of the New Testament. I'll say more about that. And also, Alexander made the Greek language the primary language that most people spoke throughout the known world. Even if they had local languages and dialects, they spoke the Greek language. And we've talked before about the fact the New Testament was written almost entirely in Greek. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason for that, and it made it very available to to lots of people in the in the known world at that period of time. It, the missionaries, like we have Paul traveling from place to place, and you know he he's able to do that because because of these developments that took place uh, during this period of time. Now, I want to mention one more thing. It, let me ask you questions to this point, or anything you wanted to bring up, or it's just washing over me <laughs> like a spring rain. Well, you you mentioned these groups like the Pharisees and yeah, the, where, and where the do these Sadducees. come from? Like, because I think that's always a thing for me is like we we have this darkness that's, right. that that we have in our Bible. And then we come, you know, and we've got Pharisees and we've got, they're in charge. Right. They're running the, the you know, it seemed to be running the, the Jews, sure. the Jewish faith in some way. I mean, they're still subservient to the, the Romans at some right. point. Right. And then you've got the Sadducees and mm-hmm. Sanhedrin. And so, you know, those are new terms for sure. us coming into it. So how do, how do we get there? What's, right. what's happening? Well, the Sadducees end up being kind of connected to the, to the, to the high priesthood, and they become connected to the Roman Empire. They kind of throw their their hat in the ring, lot with lot in with the Romans. So they become very politically powerful, but they're they're fewer in number. The Pharisees were really popular among the people, and I think I think that's that's something that's fascinating. You know, when we read because we hear Jesus comments about the Pharisees and this kind of thing, 
And we we read with that kind of a, a bias, and we forget the fact that these were the heroes of the people. And this is really where many of the early Christians were from this group of the Pharisees. I'll show you something in just a minute that, that you'll find interesting, I think. But when we read, a lot of times we just go over these, gloss over these groups that are just like, oh, blah, 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 you know, like Pharisees, Sadducees, whatever, teachers of law, <laughs> chief priests. It's, it's all the same to us. But there, there were significant differences. Uh, the Pharisees kind of descend from this group of people uh, who believed very strongly when you remember I talked about Antiochus Epiphanes and he was trying to stamp out Judaism. Well, there was a very, a group of people who were very much keepers of the law and, and they were, they were called Hasidim. These were the, the, the set apart ones or the pious ones are, uh, you can hear if you've ever heard the term Hasidic Jew, mm-hmm. you can kind of hear that Hasidim is the same, same root for that. And, and so they become over time, this very kind of uh, conservative to keeping the law group becomes essentially the Pharisees become the ones who who are very interested in in keeping the law as as it is written, keeping every bit and every every letter of the law. And you know, you remember when Jesus has conversations with them. Sometimes he's like, "Well, you're so concerned about doing this, but you've forgotten the point. Mm-hmm. You've forgotten mercy. You've forgotten." Uh, you know, the way that God commanded you to take care of your mom and dad as well. You know, you're, you're so concerned over these little minor points of the law. You've forgotten kind of the, the heart of the law mm-hmm. uh, is, is, is sort of his criticism. So that's, that's where the, the Pharisees come from. The Sadducees, like I said, they become kind of a politically powerful group who were connected to the temple, their powers in the temple. And that's why after the destruction of the temple we talked about last time in AD 70, that group kind of goes away. But we still see the the remnants of these Pharisees that that continue on. Uh, let me show you one interesting thing. You might you might find this interesting. I hadn't planned to do this, but uh, well, I didn't you didn't plan for I anything. Say, I haven't planned any of this. Um, <laughs> I just said, look, you're talking about this. Start talking. <laughs> look at the at the book of Acts. I think it's Acts 15. Um, you'll find something I think pretty interesting. Jerusalem Council. Yeah, it's it's the Council of Jerusalem, uh, where where there's this question. And I'll look at verse one. It says certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, and were teaching the believers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So this is this is the early church is in this period of time where we start to have some of these believers who were not Jewish at first. The the, the early church. You got to remember the earliest believers. All of the disciples were all Jewish people and Jesus was Jewish. Mm-hmm. And and the early church initially was all Jewish. It was centered in Jerusalem. It was just this particular way of believing in the Messiah that Jesus was this promised person from the Old Testament. And, and that was kind of their confession. He is the Christ. You know, he's this Messiah from the Old Testament. And, and now we have Paul on on the on the scene and he's beginning to spread the message beyond to Gentiles. To, to Gentiles. And so Antioch is the kind of, if you look back earlier in the book of Acts, it becomes kind of the center of cross-cultural Christianity, and, and there are Gentiles there for the first time. And so so here becomes this question, well, so far we've all been Jewish, and so we were circumcised, and we we kept the, the laws, we keep kosher, all these things, and, and now there's this whole group of people who were not raised that way. Do they have to become... Yeah. Basically, do they how are they getting in without this stuff? Exactly. Do they have to become? How are they getting in? Right. Do they have to be? And, and circumcision kind of becomes. It's not just that issue, but that becomes kind of the center 
question is, well, do they have to eat kosher? Do they, you know, all, all these kind of questions become a major deal. So this is what happens is they, they get together and, and they begin to have this discussion. We call it the Jerusalem Council, uh, this kind of meeting where, where they're all kind of trying to figure out how to, how to do this. Look at verse five, though. This is what I think find fa- fascinating. It says, then some of the believers, so we're talking about believers in Jesus, and, and again, we're talking several years down the road from the from Pentecost at this point, right? We're talking mm-hmm. about a decade or more. Some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So you got people who are believers in Jesus who who, you know, we would look at and say, these are Christians, these are followers of Jesus, mm-hmm. and yet they still identified themselves as Pharisees. Hmm. You, you get yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. And I will say this, there's some other differences. The Sadducees tended to only, they, they accepted only the, the law of Moses, only the five books uh, of, of Moses were, were what they accepted. The Pharisees, though, accepted the prophets and these history books. So, so the other kind of funny thing is I always say Christians adopted the Old Testament of the Pharisees. Mm. Not the Sadducees, right? So, right. so we accepted this. One of the famous things you mentioned this earlier, even that uh, the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. Paul Paul talks about this later. Yes, I, I remember as a child growing up, the Sadducees <laughs> were sad. You see, because they did not believe in the resurrection. I guess that's that's a good mnemonic. So, so <laughs> <It's> something. <laughs> so later, Paul is talking to a group of people, and he throws out this idea of the resurrection from the dead in order to kind of start the squabble between the Sad- Sadducees and the Pharisees, and and, and so it becomes this major mob thing. But there's a reason for that. If you were going to talk about the resurrection from the Old Testament, the resurrection from the dead, what verses would you go to immediately? Ezekiel. Yeah. Ezekiel's a good yeah. one. It talks about the dead bones being yeah. made alive. Daniel, some of the stuff. I mean, well, when, the, the Christ the, the coming back out of captivity. Sure. Maybe. Mostly Ezekiel. I, I, Isaiah. Isaiah. Isaiah, maybe. But, you know, on the day of on the day of Pentecost, when Paul or uh, Peter stands up to preach on the day of Pentecost, he says, um, he uses the psalm. He says, uh, you will not let your Holy One see decay. Nor will you abandon him to the grave, right? Mm-hmm. And so that becomes, you know, that's, but that's Psalms. Right. Now, here's the interesting thing. I don't know if you remember this. Um, Doubtful. <laughs> the, uh, are, are you referencing things I would have been taught in school? <laughs> hopefully. Jesus is confronted one time by a group of people. I don't know if you remember this story or not. That doesn't help me narrow it down. <laughs> I He's know, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> he, he was confronted by this group of people, and it was about, the resurrection. It's Mark chapter 12. I don't know if you remember this story or not. This is this is something that's interesting. It's verse 18 says, then the Sadducees. And and here's one of those times where we might read this story out of the gospels and we just read enemies of Jesus, right? It's like, but but this is very significant that this is the Sadducees. Hmm. Sadducees who say there is no resurrection, right? Came to him with a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up uh, offspring to his brother. This is called Leverite marriage. Mm-hmm. It's Where do you find that? Well, it's, it's in the law, right? Yeah. And, and basically, they're saying Moses commanded us to do this, right? Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow. He also died leaving no children. The same with the third. 
None of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be? And, and this is the kind of question. You, you, Christians do this kind of thing today too sometimes, don't we? No, no, <laughs> no, never. You can tell that they've. this is kind of their proof. Oh, I've got I've got the proof uh-huh. right here. And I'm so they this nail is, you down. This is a story that, that that's going to catch you, you know? So they're, they're basically saying to Jesus, they're trying to trap him in this question, right? Mm-hmm. How can you say this? Now, you got to remember this is Sadducees, though. They don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in the resurrection. And they only accept the five books of Moses. Mm-hmm. Okay. So look at Jesus' answer. He says, you're an error. You've only got, I always say this kind of tongue in cheek. You only got two problems. You don't understand your Bible and, and the power of God. I mean, other than that, you, you guys are doing pretty well, you know, <laughs> except for those two things. Except for the two, you might call them minor or major, <laughs> you, whatever. You don't know your Bible and you don't know the power of God. It says this, when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush? So this is Moses in in the beginning of the book of Exodus. You remember that Mm -hmm. God meets Moses, who's a a descendant. He's at this point run away from Egypt, and he's he's tending sheep, right? Mm -hmm. And, And so here's what happens. It says, in the book of Moses... In the account of the burning bush, God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. In other words, he uses the present tense. Mm. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But of course, by the time of Moses, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had long been in the grave. Right. And so he says, he's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You're badly mistaken. So, wow. so but here's the point. He didn't go to... He's confronting Sadducees, so it wouldn't have done any good if he would have quoted Daniel or Ezekiel or Psalm 22. Or right, he went back to their book, right, and, yep. and he proved it from from there. So that's just one example, I think, of understanding these different groups, how they can kind of give us again a little additional insight uh, into why Jesus is answering them the way the way that he does. As much as we can understand these stories and, and what was important to them, you know, there's some other examples I can think of. Um, John 9, they're confronted with a man who's born blind, and Jesus' disciples ask the question, was it this man or his his parents that sinned? Send, yeah. That's a part of it. You can see there just a little glimpse of, of the worldview of the disciples who believed that blindness was a result of sin, and, and Jesus kind of corrects them, neither of them sinned. You know, in other words, you're you're misunderstanding this. And he says it was so the power of God could be revealed and heals the blind man. And, you know, those are kind of examples. I'll give you one more uh, just quick way that we see some of this intertestamental period impacting the New Testament. Jesus' disciples, so I mentioned the Maccabean kings and, and how they were heroes of the people for a long period of time. About 90% of the names of boys in the first century during, during Jesus' um, life and, and ministry, about 90% of the, of the Jewish boys who had been born in Galilee or Judea were named after one of those kings. And we mm. see that in, in Jesus' own disciples. You know, there's, um, uh, do you remember Peter's name before he was before he he became Peter, do you remember what his Simon. name was? Simon. And so Simon is one of those kings. Uh, and there's actually a couple of Simons. There's Simon, who is who's Peter, mm-hmm. brother of Andrew. And there's also Simon, who's called the Zealot. Yep. Remember that? I'll come yep. back to that in a minute. That's another interesting intertestamental period thing. 
But, uh, you know, those names, uh, Matthew, James, John, all of these are names that were from the, from the Maccabean Kings. And it showed what an important story that was to the people. It's kind of like early in the history of the country where people would maybe name their kids Benjamin after Benjamin Franklin or, you know, George after George Washington, that kind of thing. Or Judas yeah. after <laughs> Judas the Hammer. Why Judas the Hammer? Maccabeus. Yeah. So, well, there's Judas. Yeah. There's a couple of Judases in, in Jesus, uh, not, not just Judas Iscariot, we call him, but then mm-hmm. there's another Judas in, in Jesus' disciples as well. So, you know, all these all these names and just it's kind of an interesting— There's a, there's it, a history it, that comes along with it. There is, and that's that's an, another way that the intertestamental period uh, impacted. It seems like there's one other thing I was well, going to and, mention. And I, yeah. I, I'd like that you're talking about the zealot. Like, hmm. there was some— uh, yeah, talk to us about zealotry. You know that they sure. there was some war mongering yeah. happening here. Zealots, zealots was a group of people. Now the Pharisees did not like. You know, I told told you already. Sadducees were kind of in cahoots with the Romans. Hmm. Pharisees did not like Roman rule, but they were, for the most part, there was a, a difference of opinion about how Jewish people should respond to the Romans. But for the most part, they were. You know, they they didn't like the Romans, but they weren't going to do anything actively. But there was this other group that were called zealots who were basically looking for ways actively to militaristically overthrow the Roman government. And so we find one of Jesus' own um, disciples who apparently was identified with that group who who wanted to, you know, I would call it a violent overthrow of the Roman government was what he believed in, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, th- there's some even things in Jesus' ministry as he begins to to gain power and followers and people begin, I guess, gain power in the way to, to put it, but he begins to uh, gain followers and becomes popular that his, some of his own followers start to say, well, he could really go into Jerusalem. And, and I think that's, that's kind of what his disciples even expect. That when you go into Jerusalem and, and you enter into your kingdom, let us sit on thrones. You know, James and John say that. Mm-hmm. And, and again, we kind of make it into this future thing that they're thinking, but I think they're really thinking about marching into Jerusalem and and overthrowing the Roman government sometimes. And Peter, on the day of Jesus' arrest, you know, draws his sword so and and cuts the ear. That goes for. I don't think he was going for his. I ear. I don't think he was going for the ear. He's, it wasn't like, oh, stop it. <laughs> Save it for something more vital. But around I, the neck. Region. I really think he he saw. Yeah, he he thought he was he was doing one of the first strokes in the war against the Romans. Shot yeah. heard around the world. That's he exactly thought. that's exactly right. And so, so those kind of things I think help us. You know, give us a little bit more context. This was something that was was recent in their memory, you know, in their history that they could remember a time when the Maccabees had overthrown a, a foreign oppressing government, mm-hmm. and their hope was that that can happen again. So I'm going to name my kids Simon, and I'm going to name my kids Judas. You know, that they would be able to do that kind of things. So, and because of that zealotry, there was a tense relationship between yeah. Rome and the and the Jews Absolutely. in Jerusalem that Absolutely. they. Had, that that's what Jesus is walking into. There's already a tense relationship, yeah, going on there. You know, if we don't think about the 400 years where God is silent in right. some ways in there, and then when Jesus comes, He is not the zealot God right. that they expected. I think it's it, it's it's easy, at least for me. I'm sitting back here going, thinking about the perspective of the Pharisees, going, "Hey, man, these these are the last rules that we were given, right?" And you're Totally not that. So, right. How do we understand this? Right. We haven't heard anything for 400 years. And like, oh, we're supposed to expect you. Yeah. I'll say oftentimes, it's, it, you know, 
we say it's the time of silence. And, and in fact, you, you find this early in the Gospels. It talks about, you know, there, there seems to be this expectation there hasn't been prophets for this period of time. God was, was silent, but I always say he was still active. And mm, we yes. can see that in the, in the events that took place. The other thing is I think it's just important because the Gospels don't take place in, in, in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were in, in the midst of this political upheaval of these military things that were going on. So, yeah. Yeah, it kind of gives us a glimpse of what what the the people's heart was for or not for. And right. I think it's just like in any culture, it was not always homogenous that there was, you know, right. you had the Pharisees who were this way and Sadducees were this way. And then you had the zealots out there and that there was this, the Jews were not just all one thing. There was a lot of things happening and right. Jesus is kind of intersecting with with all of those. Right, right. So, well, I think that's about it. I just okay. want to talk about what happened in there so we kind of figure True. out what's happening. So there's war fighting, oppression, right. and so forth. But uh, yeah, that was good. That's right. good. Brian. <laughs> well, again, it's just it's just a part of the whole picture, I think, of how we we study Scripture and we think about it you know, within its historical context, not, not just in isolation. These are not just words that dropped you know, in, in no context, but they have, they have historical context. The reason Jesus addresses the people the way that he does, you know, calls himself the good shepherd and, and those kind of things, I think, have, have that kind of context, that it took place at the Feast of Dedication. You know, these are, these are things that can, I think, help give us a, a greater understanding. Yeah, and I, and I think I always, for me, when I hear the good shepherd, it's always just, well, they had shepherds and they had sheep, and they understood, you know right. what I mean? Like, there was a right. leader, but like that they didn't, you know, were they thinking of shepherd as at a higher level than what right. I'm thinking of than right. just... Maybe, like I said, maybe we'll come back and do John 10 another time and talk a little bit more about shepherds and rulers and that kind of thing so uh you know ezekiel you mentioned ezekiel earlier who talks about the the wicked shepherds and ezekiel talks about a lot some (laughs) things on wheels and faces and all that good stuff so well brian thanks so much thanks for joining in the bistro yeah all right man take care thank you bye Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. We hope this helped maybe answer some questions for you about what was going on in the world between the Testaments. And next week's episode, Brian and I are doing something a little bit different. We are reflecting on our past trips to Israel-Palestine. I've been once and Brian has been a couple times, and we reflect on what those trips were like, what really stood out to us, and what it meant for us in our daily study of Scripture. We hope you can join us for that. You can find show notes, links, and more at thebiblebistro.com. You can also find us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Bible Bistro. And as always, you can subscribe to us on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the podcast and find it helpful, would you also please give us a review with Apple Podcasts? The more positive reviews we receive, uh, the more likely others will be able to find and listen to this content. As I mentioned in last week's bonus episode, Brian and I are putting together a video resource to show you how to use the Blue Letter Bible, the free online resource for Bible studies. If you go to our website, thebiblebistro.com, you can sign up for The Bistro Beat, which is our newsletter, not a root vegetable. When you do that, you'll get access to that video just as soon as it is completed. So make sure you do that. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great week and we will talk to you on Tuesday.